You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time Show. It's fantastic to be here again on a Monday with my co-presenter, Dalib. Dalib, so great to be here. Thanks for allowing uh, me to be with you today. I don't allow anything. These are the <laughs> powers that be, yeah, yeah, the greater good. No, it's, it's always a pleasure, to, never a chore, to be presenting with you, Hanif. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, because uh, we have a bit of a, a laugh. We get to, not just a laugh, we address some serious yeah. issues, yeah, yeah. Uh, contemporary issues. And we we give, because this is Voice of Islam, we give them all through the prism of Islam, yeah. uh, the correct, or what should be the correct way to deal with these problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right, uh, we do pick some um, hard hit uh, uh, points as well, so... That's fantastic. I'm sure mm-hmm. everything's cool going on there. So we're going to hit two topics, which I'm really interested about today. Yeah. And they do, they do affect all of us in our daily life. And it's something that is really important with us. And in, in the first hour, we, we're going to be talking about this crisis. Everyone's been hearing about it, the water crisis. Mm-hmm. What's happening being, with our we're water? We've been inundated in yeah. this country with crises at That's, the moment. Oh God, Cost yeah. of living crisis. Well, I've, Energy nick- crisis. I've nicknamed it the blockage Britain. So you want to go on holiday, you want to get a passport, forget it. You want to get your <laughs> driver's license changed, uh, you've got to wait forever. You want to yeah. now try and get a mortgage that you're able to pay for. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, mortgages are being withdrawn from the system. So, all right. So, but the crisis we're going to be talking yeah. about is the pollution that we're having now. And then in the next hour is the other crisis. Yes. Everyone's heard about it. It's been in Especially the news. Especially if you're London centric, it's the extension of the ULE zone. Correct. Yes, but also known as CAS in other areas, which okay. is the uh, clear um, yeah. clear air zone. Yeah. And many of the cities um, mm-hmm. outside of London have them as well. Birmingham is one of the most prominent ones that have mm-hmm. been around. But actually. This clear air zone has been around for a very long time prior to the ultra low emission zone, which was mm-hmm. brought in officially around 2019. So they're the two kind of subjects. If any of those actually interest you, you're upset about something, you know, the cost of living affects everyone and both these two subjects we're talking yeah, about. They're going to have an impact on yourself. Please call us uh, in the studio on 0208 or tweet us at our socials at uh, voiceofislam.co.uk. Yeah. Well, further ado let's jump into that first and just uh, before we do we've got a question on on instagram as well where oh we're, yes we're uh, asking if you are happy well, with the ulez please let us know yeah should i mean the question yeah. is is quite binary well it is binary <laughs> should the ulez zone uh, be extended uh yes or no so let's uh, see where we're at by the end of the show but regarding to that poll yeah, and we've got two uh, guests uh, hopefully joining us uh, later today. But as it's a live show, we'll be confirming those to you yeah, <laughs> as, as we go be. on. But we will be talking uh, to our first, first guest recent, uh, soon, uh, Andrew White. So, so let, let's just get into this because we, we wanted to start the show, didn't we, with a verse from the Holy Quran, yeah, we did. which is really important because, as you said earlier, that... You know, the voice of Islam, actually, whatever we do in our daily lives is actually from the point of view from an Islamic prism, right? Yes, so, through the prism of Islam. Yes. So in, in terms of, you know, our first topic, our first segment, uh, which is, you know, water crisis, you know, is or, you know, the British water in, industry under scrutiny. Now, in the Holy Quran, in verse 22, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 22, verse 67, it says, and he... It is who gave you life, then he will cause you to die. 
Then he will give you life again. Surely man is most grateful. Now, God has blessed us with so much in this world, uh, but we're so ungrateful uh, as the Holy Quran's voice, verse outlines. We waste water and other God's blessings without thinking of the ones who are suffering. Yeah. Now, water uh, is a fundamental uh, you know, resource for life, and it's facing a crisis in the United Kingdom. I'm sure uh, you, myself, you know, yourself, uh, Hanif, and all our listeners out there are aware, say, for instance, uh, of the news recently in the past month regarding Thames Water. Uh, we see uh, headlines of uh, you know, our, our waterways, our rivers, our, our beaches being flooded with effluent, and it's been legalized, right? So, you know, how how is this being, you know, being allowed? Sure. I mean, I, I think when you're talking about it being legalized, there is, a, a, which allows water companies, when there is a heavy rain, mm -hmm. when there is um, maybe some sort of exceptional weather circumstances or something has happened, where they are allowed to use the overflow because they're unable to process the sewage. Mm -hmm. And that's the point when it actually goes into our rivers that are being mm -hmm. polluted. Now, the problem that we have is that it's been happening way too often. Well, and it's it's actually breaching a lot of the criteria and the conditions as what should happen. And are you going to throw a statistic? Yeah, at me? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to throw yeah, yeah, uh, go uh, for uh, it. Uh, uh, an article in The Guardian, which was not more than uh, when was it? Not more than actually, it's published on Saturday, the fifth of August. Fifty-seven swimmers fall sick and get diarrhea at World Triathlon Championships in Sunderland. Now, yeah. the uh, the authorities who are coordinating the event said that they had tested uh, by Defra the water uh, and found it, you know, satisfactory for them to compete in. But I've got to say, Hanifia, isn't it a bit of a coincidence that fifty-seven? Right of the competitors actually fell ill. Well, of course, there is no coincidence there, <laughs> right? Um, and and this is where you've got organisations um, such as uh, the surfers that are uh, coming together very strongly. Mm -hmm. We're saying that. Um, they're going out surfing or even many of our children now would like to go for a quick dip in the river, although it is very dangerous. But actually, in a, in a controlled environment, you, you know, you can go near the edge and dip in and come out. But actually, people are extremely fearful of it now. They do not know what they're what they're doing, because yeah. especially if you're if you're an upstream of a river where there's a, a, a cleaning plant somewhere down in the midst of a river, you don't know what's being uh, pushed yeah, into exactly. that. So, yeah, well, that's that's an extremely high statistic. I've got another one for you, which I'm finding. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is really important that we explain this and we explain how, I mean, how important it is that, you know, we really need to understand. Yeah, if we look at the, the actual, the, 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 the nuts and bolts of this story. Now, in the United Kingdom, the water industry plays a pivotal role in managing the water uh, resources and supplying potable water to the population. Now, in recent times, the British water industry has come under scrutiny due to various challenges and crises. Now, these crises encompass a range of pre pressing issues, including sewage management problems, soaring water bills, conflicting water bans, and an alarming number of leaks. Moreover, these challenges have become more, more severe amid the ever-rising cost of living. Um, so we're going to explore these issues. Now, the actual crisis uh, that we're experiencing in the UK, uh, I mean, it's characterised by a combination of factors 
that uh, impact the availability and distribution of water resources. Now, one of the major challenges faced by the water industry is population growth, leading to, obviously, an increased demand for water. Now, you, know, you can understand this in urban areas, you know, the, the density that we're having in city centres. Uh, climate change, also another factor, mm. uh, you know, causing fluctuations in water availability. I mean, we've seen this, um, you know, just what, last week. OK, not in this country, but uh, Maui, we've had wildfires in Maui. So there is, you know, there's, there's no hide or sticking your head in the sand regarding climate change. Mm. And it affects everyone because we are a global community now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the development that's taking place in the United Kingdom at the moment, especially for residential building homes, building houses, and there was a situation at the moment, if you look at Cambridge, where Cambridge were trying to implement some sort of clear... Uh, Clearia Zone, I, I, I remember, I keep forgetting it, but CAS. CAS. Um, but basically, um, they said we didn't want it. And mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the reasons why the team, that the, the party that effectively didn't want it, won. Mm -hmm. And now they're thinking about developing a whole massive, I don't know, umpteen football pitches of residential homes. Mm -hmm. But the question that's come up is the question you've just discussed. What about the water resources? Yeah. How are we going to clean the water? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen with, with the amount of water? And I think the qu the question how we will answer it in a way from an Islamic point of view is that it's very clear, however beautiful this earth is, we have to protect its resources. We have to take responsibility not to waste. And there's always a question about wastage or over-expenditure. It's always about moderation. Sometimes many people think they've drinking a glass of water. They fill the glass up with water. They'll take two gobs and throw the water away. Mm -hmm. They think, well, I've had a glass of water. But actually they haven't. And they just waste it. We don't realise how much water we actually waste in everything mm. we do. I mean, it behoves me to think, and I always, uh, in my own household, um, I'm very, very um, cognizant of the fact that we waste so much water. Uh, I'll tell you know the rest of my household and family members, look, you know, yeah. don't be so long in the shower, right? Um, you know, you do realise that there are countries. Uh, people in this world, you know, the vast, you know, huge percentage uh, in Africa who have no access to clean water, which is, I mean, we're so lucky, uh, you and I, if we want to drink potable water, all we've got to do is literally walk 10 paces to the kitchen here around the corner and just turn on the tap. Yeah. So we are so privileged. Yeah, and I, I use that word privileged to be living in a society uh, which affords us these um, you know, these resources at hand. So I think that's that's the problem now, Hanif, yeah, is that we've become so accustomed yeah. to it's not it's not a, a need anymore. And, you know, then therefore it becomes, you know, people's attitudes towards it become wasteful. Yeah, exactly right. But actually we're now getting to a situation where we, we've seen the climate change affecting and it's mm -hmm. affecting Europe all across uh, every aspect of, of Europe fire burnings, even as far as Canada as well. It is all related to the global warming, the scarcity of resources. And we know, and scientists are telling us, if we're thinking about people are creating wars because they don't, because they want to usurp one other country, but actually many wars probably in the future will be fought on 
where can I live? There's no more resources left there. The water's all gone. So I need to migrate. It won't be mm. individuals migrating across the channel or coming from Eritrea or Afghanistan. They will be moving. Countries will be moving, literally, because living near the center of the equator where it's so hot and it is drying up, how are people going to survive? They're mm-hmm. going to have to go to other areas, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when we talk about um, in terms of looking at society through uh, an Islamic lens and following uh, following the teachings of the uh, of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, and those uh, verses of the Holy Quran. Now, it says um, in chapter 19, verse 64, and the true servants of the gracious God are those who walk on the earth humbly. Now, if mankind keeps on damaging this world through pollution, uh, depleting the ozone layer, I mean, we've seen... You know, the ice caps melting, yeah? Uh, more things in terms of human intervention, mm-hmm. uh, nuclear tests, warfare, etc. Then how will we be able to do the one thing which God has set out for us? Uh, you know, we should take care of the earth so that we are able to worship Allah Almighty. And if we look at um, in terms of, you know, other, how other peoples uh, have their way of living. I mean, I've, I've come across... Um, the Aborigines uh, in in Australia, yeah. and their 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 thinking is, and they have no, they're very nomadic in the way that they are. They they they, they travel around the the country. They don't have any fixed regions. Like we know exactly. Right, okay, I live in Sutton. Uh, it's a it's a, a um, it's a within place, Surrey. Isn't it? Oh, it's lovely, right? <laughs> um, but we have our boundaries, right? Yeah. Whereas the Aborigines, they don't have boundaries. They just, they, because why? They don't believe that they own the land, yeah. right? That they are caretakers of the land and that resources are there to be used, yes, for sure, but you shouldn't be wasteful of those resources. Yeah. And you, you know what? You are only here for your own lifetime. So why are you really. Kind of like wasting those resources. Because we've got generations after generations that have come before us, and when we leave this world, they'll be coming as well. So we need to be very mindful of that. But actually, when we look at the the current situation, the wastage of the water, there is a massive result of that's why we're being charged so much more money for our bills, Mm -hmm. uh, for our water bill. You know, I, I know many people when they want to drink water, they go to the petrol station and they're happy to spend one pound fifteen or two pound forty, depending on what they want for mm-hmm. a nice bottle of water that's that's come from a from a stream, say from France, um, Livignon, for example. Yeah. So where Evian comes from yeah. or whatever, um, Volvic, Volvic, or whatever. <laughs> but actually, but our bills that come through our tap that is increasing day by day. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? Is that because of us wasting our wattage? Uh, or is it because the water companies are not doing what they're supposed to be doing by well, reinvesting if we, if we, into If we look that. at these soaring water bills, yeah, yeah, I mean, that is another, this is why we're calling it a crisis. Now, despite facing issues of inadequate sewage management and water leaks, uh, water companies have consistently increased their tariffs. Now, this escalation in water bills adds financial strain to households, particularly those on lower incomes. Mm-hmm. As the cost of living crisis or as the cost of living rises, uh, many individuals and families and households find it challenging to afford the basic necessity of clean water. This situation exacerbates social inequalities yeah. and poses a serious threat.
threat to the well-being of vulnerable communities. And we've seen that, Hanif. Mm. I think at the top of the show, uh, I pointed out at a specific water company, Thames Water. You know, they've, they've, they've come under fire because, well, they have a debt, a hole uh, in their finances of, I think, approximately 10 billion. Five billion of which, I mean, none of it is fair enough. But what I was going to say was, would be fair enough if that 10 billion debt uh, was, I don't know, somehow engineered by, by Thames Water actually investing in infrastructure. Okay. But it hasn't been. You know, five billion of that debt has actually been uh, has gone towards paying dividends to their shareholders. Exactly right, and we know that when the uh, companies were privatised in 1989, there is a statistic. Since then, we have paid approximately 54 billion pounds to shareholders. Wow. Now, if you imagine that money hadn't been paid out to shareholders, that we as a country still own the assets at that time mm-hmm. we could have as you said reinvested back into that uh, in in the infrastructure and therefore we wouldn't be um, wasting all this water in the leaks now obviously the argument would be at that time the water companies uh, needed the investment that's why they were privatized but mm-hmm. actually the idea of having to then taking our natural pride, joy, uh, resources to then give it to shareholders Mm. um, and not then reinvest to people like uh, who don't who do not own shares in those companies mm-hmm. who then need to have the water but not be paid astronomical prices i mean i think one of the biggest uh shareholders in thames water uh is macquarie or was macquarie uh, which is an australian bank yeah. so you know that's and it, it, actually this economic term comes to me and it's a keynesian term right <laughs> yeah, yeah, go which it. is selling the family silver yeah and I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I'm sure you have, Hanif. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly. I mean, even you know, to, if you look at America, they don't, they haven't sold their utilities, right? They understand strategically to keep a hold of the security. Uh, yeah. Sorry, their their utilities, uh, uh, in utility infrastructure. It's it's yeah beneficial to the country as a whole. It, it's so true. I mean. It doesn't matter which party you're from, whatever it is, every party in itself has made decisions to sell its resources. We did it through our telecom. Mm-hmm. So, um, some parties look at our energy. I mean, everyone knows about EDF Energy. Yeah. They're, they're a French company. Right. EDF right? Centrica for British you Gas. Got it, it's right? Spanish. Yeah. So. So every over the many, many decades, we, we've been doing that, but we really need to pull, pull back um, on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and in fact, to talk more about the crisis in water that we're experiencing in this country, we're joined by, we're joined by Kath Jones, who's yep. head of company engagement at CCW, the voice of water consumer, or the voice of the water consumer. Yeah, it would be great for you to be able to... Uh, you know, talk to us about what's going on. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you for having me on today. So as you say, CCW is the Consumer Council for Water. Mm-hmm. So it's our job to rep- um, represent all water users in England and Wales, which, of course, is all of us. Um, so it's really interesting hearing your discussions there. That, you know, the finances at Thames Water have made an awful lot of um, noise at the moment, but I think it speaks to wider issues mm-hmm. uh, that the industry is currently facing. Um, so I think one of the one of the hot topics at the moment is 
we're seeing, uh, you know, rising bills for lots of us across all sorts of sectors. Um, but we do need to see affordable water rates. But we also yeah. need to see infrastructure investment at the same time. So one of the roles that CCW has is to make sure that we don't have to choose in that situation. You know, bills do need to be affordable, but equally we know our system needs investment. You were just talking about leaks and water outages, which we've seen mm-hmm. um, happen far too frequently, really, um, over the last few months. So we know customers want to see investment in improving their services and enhancing the environment. And if that does lead to bill increases, this has to come hand in hand with fairer and more consistent support. We've got nearly one in four households who's struggling with their bills already. Um, so we need to make sure, as I say, that that consistent support is there for people. And then through doing that, we unleash the potential to be able to improve infrastructure whilst keeping bills at an affordable rate. Mm. But, the, the I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Kath. But, you know, whilst the water industry is facing this type of scrutiny uh, for these sewage issues, water pollution, underinvestment of infrastructure, I mean, mm. how can, you know, groups like yourself influence those companies and regulators uh, like Ofwat, you know, to prioritise environmental protection and the public health? Uh, it's a really good question, isn't it? What can we do? Well, we're really lucky, actually. We obviously, as the independent consumer voice, conduct research, so speak to people. But another part of our work is that we help people to resolve complaints with their water companies. So we hear from people across England and Wales about their real-life, day-to-day experiences in dealing with their companies. And that is one of the most powerful weapons we have, is that we can make a suggestion uh, or a recommendation and say, not only this isn't just our idea, we haven't just thought this up, or it's not just from a limited piece of research. I've got you customer examples that I could give you to Mm -hmm. bring, bring this to life. So, for example, um, earlier this year, we did some research around trust and perception mm-hmm. of how people feel about their water company. And the trusting companies to deliver, you know, a reliable service is still there. But where we see trust really start to decrease is in trust to look after the environment. I mean, I right. research back in February, 43% of people trust the company to look after the environment, which is so poor. Mm. So we can use that kind of information coupled with the experiences and complaints that we hear to influence companies and regulators, you need to rebuild trust. And this is a key issue for you to get on top of. Yeah. So that's how we work there. So what would you recommend? What is the way to build trust then? What would you say if you were sitting next to the Minister for uh, Health and Environment or Transport and Environment, whichever way it is, what would you be telling them at the moment? So you need to build trust in the people because only 43% trust that you can actually deliver. Yes. I think that, again... It's really important, isn't it? If we've got a, we can we can say and do lots of things, but the way that you actually rebuild trust is by delivering your promises. So I think this is one of the really key pieces for the water industry at the moment. We're in the middle of um, the companies making business plans, which set out exactly what they're going to spend their money on and do from 2025 to 2030. And within those plans, we need to see how they're going to be looking after the environment, and then we need to see them doing it. Um, I think we've all been in situations where people have made promises that just never come to fruition, and that's exactly, you know, trust is easy to lose and hard to rebuild. I don't think there's a quick answer for the industry at this at this point, um, but we need to start communicating. Mm. Often, I think, as, you know, customers, we hear 
about our companies in the news rather than from our company. Um, so really reaching out to people, explaining what's going on, explaining what's been wrong in the past and what's going to be done to put that right and when we can expect to see that done by. Mm. But Kath, I mean, um, I quoted an article right at the top of the show. I'm not sure if you, you, you were able to listen from The Guardian uh, which was uh, published on Saturday the 5th of August. And I'm not sure if you're aware. 57 swimmers fell sick uh, and got diarrhoea at the World Triathlon Championships in Sunderland. And the environmental agency uh, had sampled at Roker Beach on Wednesday the 26th of July, three days before the event. Uh, that actual sample showed 3,900 E. coli colonies per 100 millilitres. Now, that's more than 39 times higher than the typical readings the previous month. So when we talk about being transparent, and that's you know what we all hope for as consumers, that our companies uh, that provide us utilities, especially water, because you know, we, we drink it, we imbibe it all the time, right? That actually, is this a safe product anymore? Yeah, I think there's a really... Um important difference to make there between our drinking water um, and what goes out as effluent or as storm overflows Mm -hmm. and raw water. So water companies all take raw water from the environment and I don't think under any circumstance I'd be advocating you know go down to your local river and drink that Um, (laughs) no definitely (laughs) not actually (laughs) (laughs) no really wouldn't be good um but you know so drinking water we are so lucky in the UK that we have really high standards we've got the drinking water inspectorate a body whose sole job it is is to look after that um and to make sure that those really good high quality water supplies remain in place but the part about swimming I think is really interesting there's quite a balance there um you know uh, rivers and seas do need to be protected they are important ecological environments Mm -hmm. we cannot have our rivers polluted to an extent that they are you know losing their wildlife where we start to see fish disappear the microorganisms disappear then our birds Mm. disappear but equally um i think it's water companies are not the only people who put um products into the water there's quite a lot of work going on in the industry looking at um, making the near real-time data available from overflow monitors so where there are overflows um, on a lot of companies, you can look on their website now and see if that has discharged recently. So that can be useful to yep. you in making decisions. Um, and you know that I think we need to recognise there is a big difference between uh, storm overflow discharging on a beach and one that discharged two kilometres mm. offshore with an outgoing tide. Yeah, no, but Kath, I, I, uh, I should have clarified my point as to really it's, it's going to your first uh, statement about being... Um, having transparency and trust. So if I can't trust a company to uphold its standards in, say, for instance, how they're discharging their waste, Mm -hmm. then how am I supposed to extrapolate that trust to the stuff that I drink as well? I mean, also, if we look at, say, for instance, okay, let's move away from that, leakages in the water distribution uh, network. I mean, these lead to significant wastage in water. Uh, you know, what actions do you recommend to minimise these leaks and reduce the water loss in the system? Because if we're hearing, and uh, I, I quoted the £5 billion deficit uh, in Thames Waters uh, accounts, which was due to paying off dividends, right? So if five, five, five billion, and that's a staggering amount, is being paid to shareholders, then 
that's not going into uh, reinvestment in infrastructure. And we, you know, live in London. A lot of the the, the sewerage, the waterworks, you know, date back to Victorian times. So, you know, how are we going to address this now then? Yeah, leaks. We know full well that people seeing leaks actually really undermines everybody's motivation to use water widely ourselves at home. Mm -hmm. And there is a growing gap between the amount of water that we require day to day, um, both at home and at work, and the amount of water we've got in our environment to use. I think we saw last year in the drought, you know, we we saw some of the chalk streams around the area starting to get really low. And that's Mm. serious. So it is imperative that leaks get fixed. And companies do go around and fix a lot of leaks. What they don't do very well is tell us what they already know about, how long things are going to take to get fixed. They're really keeping us informed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been doing some work with companies recently on that, saying we need it to be easy to see if that leak that I walk past every day is on your radar. You know, Do you know about this or do I need to phone you up and tell you about it? Mm-hmm. And if you do know about it, when are you going to fix it? I don't expect to see it running for days and days and days. But if yeah. you tell me it's because you need a road closure permit to get down and fix that, I'll be more accepting of the time it takes. But you're right, infrastructure is a key mm. point of investment. Back to, as we said at the beginning, you know, we need to balance investment and make sure bills stay affordable for people. Yeah. So, uh, Kath, we, we are the customers of the water companies. Do you think we're getting a fair deal? Do you think our bills are too expensive? No, I think... <laughs> I think we get a really good service in the main. And I think that's really worth highlighting. That most people's experience is we don't think about our water and sewage company because we turn on the tap and it works. We run stuff down the sink and it goes away. Um, there are definitely flaws that need investment. And that's really important that that happens. And I think yeah. even what we see now is um, perhaps we might have found it more acceptable a decade ago. It's not acceptable now, and the companies yeah. need to do better. Mm-hmm. Do you think the £10 billion that this was potentially afforded to the water companies, that later on the taxpayer should pay for that? Um, <laughs> I think that's probably a question for an economic <laughs> regulator, somebody like Ofwat. Um, You know, our role is in the here and now is to protect our water customers, as I say, everybody in England and Wales, and make sure that, you know, we don't want to see people paying twice for something. If a company said they were going to do something between in the last five years and they haven't done it, you don't just yeah. have to get more money to do it again. You've already had the money. It should be done. Yeah, exactly. We need to make sure that the investments that happen over the next yeah. five years are sensible and deliver the things that we really do want to see, which is things sure. like reliable services and a protected environment. Yeah. So have you, in your research, have you asked the question to the customers that you feel like you're getting a, a good service? Is the, is, the, is the price that we pay for our water and our monthly or, or quarterly bills worth the money we spend on? We do. We actually run an annual tracking survey called Water Matters, um, which is available on our website if anybody wants to go and have a look through it. And we do ask customers at that point about do you perceive your bills as affordable? Do you perceive them as fair, which is actually quite different from just being affordable, as well as asking people about things do they know, for example, about the priority services registers that all um, companies can offer? Do they know about the social tariffs and the help that companies can offer them with bills so we have got that research there um we've been running that for 12 years now i think so there's quite a a a lot of history to it um and some companies do better than others 
Mm. Um, and there are different reasons for that. But of course, as I say, what we really, really need to see um, is we've already got one in four people struggling with bills. We need to make sure that the assistance that's there is fair and to, uh, is across the board, yeah. that everybody can be helped in the same way, which is not what we've got at the moment. And yeah. that's not fair. Yeah, sure. Uh, Kath, I totally appreciate everything you're saying. Just before you go, I have just one last question. Um, and I think Dalib, if he wants to ask a question, he can. But this question you just raised it now it's literally about the cost of living when we are when people are looking at where they're going to spend their money uh, everywhere you look um, from food to fuel to mortgage to electricity everything is going up nothing seems to be coming down and the underlining thing is with inflation although inflation has come down but it's still astronomically high and and our basic staple things that we need like food products that we have all the time those are going up water obviously falls into that category mm. so so my my question is is how how do we if i was wearing the hat of the ceo of 10 water what do i say to joe blogs down the street that has has got to put the heating on when it comes winter because obviously the, it's going to take water obviously and and they're going to boil lots of kettles lots of tea what, what do we say to them at this moment of the crisis? I think the the best advice I can give you yeah. is if you are looking at a water bill, that you are one of those one in four households who's saying, I am struggling with this, contact your company. Thames, mm-hmm. yeah. Southern, any of them. Every single company has assistance schemes in place and every single company has the ability to help you with that. Yeah. Water is an absolutely essential service and we cannot have people... You know, putting that. We want to use water wisely, of course. You know, don't yeah. go and fill okay. up a paddling pool every day with it. But it is essential. It's essential for cooking, for hygiene, for use in the home. So if you are struggling, speak to your company. Mm. Actually, Kath, as a last question, as a, a kind of like a jumping on the on the bandwagon <laughs> of Hanif's uh, question, it just came to my mind. What are actually the punitive measures that water companies have? Say, for instance, if you do not pay your bill, can they just? come along i mean i know where the stopcock the main stopcock for my house is is out on the street so i mean that's public area right so they can can they just literally rock up and just turn that off thankfully no but if you're oh. a so businesses can be disconnected but absolutely not household customers right, right. Uh, okay. because it is yeah. and you know it would create such a risk what if you had a fire in your home and the water was cut off mm. um so no, companies, normal steps would be something along the lines of warnings, then debt collection agency, and companies do report to credit reference agencies, so it mm-hmm. can affect you there. And ultimately, you know, there are court um, actions as well. Uh, obviously, I hope that nobody would ever have to get into that position because there are there is a lot of help out there. But no, you can't be disconnected at home for um, not paying your water bill, mm-hmm. but you can mm-hmm. work. Well, that's good to know because we know that some electric companies have that power, don't they, to, yeah. to disconnect, yeah. and luckily the water has not gone that route yet uh, because no, electric companies really but electric companies <laughs> but electric companies didn't have that right either but they went down in that direction so fingers crossed um god willing that will never happen at yeah. least to no, to, no, to any of the uh, things yeah, cool. yeah kath it's been a pl- it's been a pleasure speaking yeah. to you this afternoon thank you very much yeah, for joining bye. us on the drive time show have a good day you too bye 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 0208 
687-7878 or tweet us at voiceofislam.co.uk. And can I just put a caveat uh, on my last question there to Kath about not paying your bills and the punitive measures? Yeah. We are not advocating, I am not advocating that you should not pay your bills. Yeah, of course. Right. We would never do that here, no. ever, on Voice of Islam Radio. Because actually one of the... I mean, it's a nice point you raised there, actually, because especially what we've always been uh, explaining on this channel for years, ever since it started, and, and actually our community as well, to be law-abiding citizens, to follow the law of the land, mm-hmm. to do whatever's required, to be good, upstanding citizens, and, and love your country. It's in mm-hmm. our constitution. Yeah. Yeah. And wish for the prosperity. So if you cause chaos and havoc in this in this country it's not good so we would never advocate something like yeah, that exactly. and i think kath gave a perfect answer in that look, talk to your water companies mm-hmm. and actually you know speak to them and i think it is that situation whereby uh, a lot of companies now uh, utility companies would rather you have a conversation with them uh, about difficulties in paying your bills than actually move to the next stage where they have to maybe get the bailiffs in, uh, issue uh, warning letters as such. Because if you think about it, that's an admin charge for themselves. They'd rather keep you on as a customer who can pay a part of your bill than actually having having to you know get rid of you in the sense of being a customer. So, yeah, by all means, have, as Kath suggested, have that uh, conversation with your company if you are one, in, one, one out of those four households who are having problems with paying their utility bills. But actually, what brings to mind regarding, um, you know, protecting our, our, our resources, uh, His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, His Holiness uh, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed said, and this was at the inauguration of Batul Nasir Mosque, uh, in Germany, uh, and this is you know, over six years ago. Now, he said, where we plant physical trees to beautify and clean the environment and bear fruit, we also plant spiritual trees that yield fruits of love and humanity. Hence, we always seek to treat our neighbours and those around us with the compassion, and we endeavour to fulfil their rights in every possible way. Now, if you think about you know, these words of His Holiness, it's to foster that idea of community and to have that idea of community. And you might think, well, this is a bit of a leap uh, from what's that going to do with water crisis, right? At the end of the day, these are um, inalienable rights that we have as human beings. We have needs and we have wants. The needs are for fire, shelter, water, food. They... Humans need that to survive. Yeah, exactly right. right. I mean, um, in law, there are many acts in law that give people the right to clean air, right to mm-hmm. uh, water, um, right to an education, all, all these things. You know, you, the, these are what have been put down in law, not only just in this country, but, but all over the world. But sometimes people sometimes forget and they don't realize that actually you have the right to be educated. That's why when you have children, you don't send your children to school. You'll get a knock on the door and say, mm-hmm. um, okay, so how old is your child and why are they not at school or why are they not at nursery? Because it is so important. So again, with all of these uh, crises that we have, um, they all need uh, looking into, sorting out, and we need to understand that it's our right to have clean water mm. and 
not only clean water, but water available all the time. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the foot, it doesn't mean that we waste the water. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah, which brings in this, um, this this saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. Uh, the world is beautiful and verdant. And verily, Allah, be he exalted, has made you his stewards in it. And he sees how you acquit yourselves. So, yeah, those words of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, are an indictment upon us, right? That, you know, this world, yeah, we've only got one chance at it, really. And we are stewards. Uh, and it's funny how, you know, that word of stewards has come up again, right? Uh, I likened you know, the Aboriginals uh, in Australia. They, 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 they are stewards. They think of them as, you know, they don't own anything. They're stewards of the land. They go, they can take from the land, but they don't take, you know, in, ex- in excess. Yeah to deplete the resources. So when you think about that saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, it should be you know, cognizant of each and every one of us. Because sometimes in these big issues or these big matters like climate change, you sometimes, I don't know about you, and if you feel, well, really, can I make a change? I'm just one person. Really, if I turn off my tap, if I take, say, for instance, a four-minute shower as opposed to a 40-minute shower, will I have saved anything? The answer is always yes. Exactly right. And they say that charity starts at home and everything you do yourself will make a big effect because if everybody in the whole of the world made a conscious decision to save water, Mm -hmm. everybody, it doesn't matter if it was even a glass a full cup, half a cup, or it was reducing the time you're spending the, uh, using your water in the in the shower. It will make a difference. Mm. It's like everything we do: the the pollution, the wastage we do with our food, everything. If we all made the conscious decision, and I and I like what you said that you know, it's like we're custodians of this yeah. world. We are. Uh, yeah, and we need to save it for our next generation. Mm. And like you mentioned a lot about the climate change we are seeing the rise in temperature i know it's only by a minimal 0.5.25 but actually i always make the point that although we're talking about the global warming but if you imagine the ice age which Mm. the whole world was like it was only two or three degrees below Mm -hmm. right yeah so the margins are so small as to how much we're burning Mm -hmm. to how much we're frozen so we are dealing with minute numbers we all need to take on the responsibility to make changes in our life Mm, yeah exactly i mean yeah we're kind of like we'll wrap this up but in wrapping up about the water crisis now the british water industry you know is under scrutiny you know due to these crises whether it be uh the sewage management infrastructure investment or lack of uh investment in their infrastructure The impacts of these issues are felt by individuals and communities which are struggling, you know, as Heath has uh, rightly put, with this cost of living crisis. Um, now, it's crucial for the industry to adopt sustainable practices, obviously invest in modernization, raise awareness about water conservation. Now, collaborative efforts between the water industry policymakers and the public are essential in safeguarding the nation's water resources for future generations. Only through such concerted actions can the British water industry itself overcome these scrutinies and contribute to a sustainable water future for the UK. 
Um, God's messenger, the holy prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said, yep. There is none among the Muslims who plants a tree or sows seeds, and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it, but is considered a charitable gift from him. I mean, this highlights the taking care of the world, and, you know, a good deed does not go unnoticed. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's such a lovely saying of our beloved Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, because it is our responsibility. As I said, we are the custodians, and we have to ensure that, you know, we take this as a very serious responsibility in everything we do. And doing things in excessive may not be the right thing. That's why we always talk about things being done in moderation. Mm-hmm. So I think what we do, we've got another topic, which is t- kind of related to this oh, yeah, in, in, in so many other ways, in terms of... I wouldn't call it a crisis, but what I would say, it affects us in so many ways. Because here we're talking about water. Next, we're talking about potentially our public health with, mm-hmm. with clean air. Yep. Um, so, so these things are all really important. So we'd like to we'll do, take a short break yep. and uh, we'll come back to our next uh, conversation we're talking about is ULES, ultra low emission emission zone and is this something that affects you and remember we're asking a question on our instagram is uh, what do you think do you think it should be brought in you may even realize that a lot of these have already been brought in many years ago for not just uh cars and vans but actually for cars or vans or whatever that are heavier than 3.5 tons there's been uh Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a clean air zone for, for that stuff in a long time but we'll get into that and if you've got any questions actually that you're not sure about you let's just ask us send yep. in a question in a normal way and we'll get it, we'll get in touch with you so here's a short break and we'll come back and we'll get into the conversation of you let's thank you a new station the voice of Islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Storm clouds forwarding us of a third world war are getting heavier by the day. The effects of such a war would last for decades to come. Generation after generation of children would more than likely be born crippled or with genetic defects due to the lasting effect of the radiation. Thus, it is the urgent need of the time for mankind to work towards safeguarding our future. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Hanif Khan. So we've uh, dealt, or I should say dealt with, we, we've addressed the issue of water crises in our first uh, part of the show. We're now going to look at a different crisis, um, kind of like London-centric, although it will, and I think uh, it already has been, uh, pushed out to other cities within the UK. It says, yeah. 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 Um, but we're going to be looking at, in this uh, second part of the show, ULES, and uh, quite, a, quite a contentious title that our producers came up with. 
And I like to share it with you, our listeners out there. An unnecessary tax or necessary to cleaner air. Yeah, I, I, I like that because a lot of people feel that the the ultra low emission zone that the mayor of London has brought in is actually is it a war on cars? I mean, he yeah. would argue it's not. It's mm. actually a war on pollution, a war on congestion. It's a war on climate change, as we but like the to thing, talk about. The thing, thing is, though, when you say like, is it a war on cars? Okay, so I don't know. Have you subscribed to what the general media wants us to think that it's yeah, this war on cars? Because as I've looked into where we're at, I mean, and, and the question is, you know, obviously, you know, the, the zone for the uh, ultra low emissions is, is increasing, right, across London. So a lot of people are like, wow, well, is that going to impact on me? Do I have to pay? Now, if it's quite easy. You just do a Google search. You're going to find that you've got a ULES uh, compliancy tool, right, which is on the government website. Stick your um, stick your registration in, and it'll tell you. And chances are, you're going to be in the ninety percent of people who are ULES compliant. Yeah, uh, uh, and and that is the surprising thing that people realise that mm -hmm. actually, oh God, my car, but it's so old. But actually, when you start looking at petrol cars, yeah. it's if you if your car is the standard to Euro 4, four. 5, and 6, yeah. your car is compliant. Um, and it's all down to the particulates, the, the, the number of grams. It's 75 grams per two kilometres that go out. And if it meets those, then you're fine. But actually, diesel cars, most of the diesel cars that are in this country, or especially around London, are about roughly eight years. Mm -hmm. So any car that is a diesel Euro 6, mm -hmm. which is kind of roughly after 2015, mm -hmm. is pretty much compliant. Yeah. So the fact that everyone, like you said, am I going to be charged as £12.50 if I go in London, out of London? But actually, we'll, we'll delve into that. But just to, just to give you some sort of history with mm -hmm. this, we, we know that... Um, consecutive mayors have been speaking about the ultra low emission zone it all started back in the day when we started introducing the congestion charge because mm -hmm. people there were too many cars in london what happened did it go ahead and uh, so and then the following um, mayor uh, boris johnson said right we need um a clear um clean air zone or we need a, uh, a low emission zone area and he spoke about this in around 2010 and he mm -hmm. said right we're going to or 2015 we're going to bring this in by 2020 that was the plan that was his plan to bring it in so when um Sadiq Mayor um Sadiq Khan Mayor of London came mm -hmm. in he brought it in a little bit earlier 2019 2019 and actually we we do know that if you look at during the lockdown the the time we were in lockdown, how clean yeah. the air felt because nobody was was driving their cars. Mm -hmm. So at, at that time, then he done it in the central zone, and there's a map so you can Google where you can see. And then uh, two years later, he did say that he's going to enlarge in it again to the within the north circular and south circular. If you live in London, most of you will know that it's like another. Very busy road that runs around London, North Circular and South Circular, but way away from uh, the M25. Yeah. So people said, okay, fine, it makes a lot of sense. But recent one that he said that he wants to now increase it to the M25 has got a lot of people confused, upset, 
my I walk outside my house and I see a park. I, and then, and I the only way I can get from my home to the shopping centre is in my car. Mm-hmm. There's no bus, there's no train. So now why am I having to spend twelve pounds fifty? Mm-hmm. So we're going to delve into all yeah. of that and get to, and we'd love to know what your feedback is on that, right? Yeah, please call us on o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us on our socials at voiceofislam.co.uk. And you know, while whilst Hanif was like talking about a little bit about the history of where we're at today regarding you, Les, yeah. uh, and I, th- I think pretty much you've you've you know, given us the structure there. Now. As according to the the, the London Assembly, uh, they've just put out a, a landmark report, uh, which actually shows that the central London ULES had a clear has had a clear impact in its first ten months of operation. It helped reduce road transport uh, nitrogen oxides (NOx) emissions by thirty five percent and CO two emissions by six percent within the zone. Uh, the report shows that ULES expansion has built on these benefits, with harmful uh, nitrogen dioxide levels 46% lower in central London and 21% lower in inner London than they would have been without the scheme. Now, thanks to the expansion of the ULES in inner London or inner London, uh, nitrogen dioxide emissions have reduced by 23%. That's 13 and a half thousand tons across London cumulatively since 2019 compared to what they would have been yeah. without the ULES. So that is, you know, that's not banding around. That's a clear indication that with or without, okay? So it has been a benefit. And just to promote that point, it isn't a war, okay? I don't think of it as being, or well, this is my personal opinion, a war on cars, Let's think of this, let's turn this, this conversation around and think of it as actually, you know, we're protecting our clean air. And we spoke about access to right clean air, right? But we won't, we will get into the politics of this later in, in, the, in the first hour because we've got um, our guest who's coming from Parliament will be joining us and we can ask him these specific questions. So, so if you've got any questions yourself mm-hmm. and you're listening to this conversation thinking, right, I know you, Les, and I want to know X, Y, Z, phone in, you know, let mm-hmm. us know or send us a question and we'll, we'll ask uh, the we'll question. We'll do our to, best to, 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 to yeah. answer that. So this thing about you talk about war, you're right, it's becoming quite divisive. You, you go mm-hmm. down the street and you... For example, it also relates to not only the ultra-low emission zone, because ultra-low emission zone is still only one part of the massive cog that we need to solve in London. Mm -hmm. We have this triple lock problem in London Mm -hmm. where we've got congestion, we've got uh, the gridlock and the congestion, we've got climate change, and we've got pollution. Mm -hmm. So how do you solve those issues you've given some brilliant statistics there which shows that it's the above implementation... my pay grade <laughs> Is that the implement... i'm merely a humble <laughs> presenter on voice of islam so but i can i can suggest some some, yeah. some no we, we do because i think it's fair because it's and ultimately all these politicians are bound to what um the the residents say and then it's up to them to make the choice to do that but how then do you solve that because ULES is only one small aspect there's a wider area where mm-hmm. in London they've been introducing low traffic neighbourhoods they've been encouraging people to walk and cycle more they, so people are making um, different choices so I read a, a statistic some time ago in London mm-hmm. and this was about 
if we could get just 20% of all the people uh, in London to make a different choice not to use their car, for example, to go to the corner shop to get themselves a newspaper or then drop their kids off at school to the local school or then go to the doctors, which is local, the local amenities, and just once or twice say, right, I'm going to walk or I'm going to take a cycle, that 20% will allow the congestion to drop. And for those people who actually need to use the car, for an elderly person with a blue badge that needs to go and see the doctor or a care worker that needs to travel within London to go and do some adult social care, easy access to get where they need to get to without Mm. being stuck in traffic. So these are the choices you mentioned about. So it's not a war like you mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, on the car. We are here to help the wider population. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, I think, when you say triple lock, yeah, it's like anything in society now. Yeah. There isn't just one simple answer. It's not binary. It has to come with a factor of, um, or a, yeah, a whole strategy. Yeah. It's a way, it's, it's actually changing the way you think about how you do things. Brilliant. And we'll get into all of that next hour. We're going to come up to the, the news uh, yeah. at uh, five o'clock. So, Get on that phone, give us a call on mm-hmm. 0208-687-7878 or c- catch us up on our social medias at Voice of Islam UK and just send a message. Our tech team will definitely be there. And myself, Hanif and Dali will be discussing this and asking the questions for you. Yep. Yeah. So here's the news and stay in touch and we'll be with you in a short while. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Welcome back and thank you very much for staying with us. My name is Hanif Khan and I'm with uh, Dalib, who's also with me today in the studio. And again, I always say to student Dalib, thanks for letting me come in on a Monday and be with you. It's, it's not down to me, Hanif. <laughs> yeah, the powers that be. And that's the answer yeah, you always uh, give. Great, which greater is powers, yeah. <laughs> because but, uh, yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, you, you and I are volunteers, yeah. right? So this is part of our ethos as being uh, a member of our community, which mm-hmm. is very much about um, the whole point of volunteering and mm-hmm. giving your time up for the service of humanity. Yeah, to promote the message of Islam. Yeah. Uh, and just really I mean this is one of the beauties of Voice of Islam all our shows whether they're pre-recorded or live shows yeah, yeah. is to show the true face of Islam uh, our, His Holiness Mr. Masra Ahmed head of the worldwide uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community has given us his mission statement regarding Voice of Islam is to promote the beauties and uh, the beauties of Islam and to show you know, to the indigenous population, the population of the UK, or wherever you may be uh, globally, that, uh, you know, we're no different to anybody else, really. Yeah, and and so the topic that we're going to be talking about, we obviously started talking about it in the previous hour, but also we're going to be having some fantastic guests with us as well. We're looking forward to speaking to Tim Dexter. He's the clean air lead on asthma and lung um UK, and then we'll be talking to our Minister Paul Scully MP, who's who's with us today, yeah, Minister so, of London and or for you, London, I yeah. Say. Also, and also he's the he's our tech man as well, which yeah. we'll delve into. But yeah, if you've got any questions uh, for our minister, please do um, ring in. And then at the end, we'll be talking to Ruth Fitzharris, and uh, she's a mother in North London, actually, and actually understands completely the challenges. And she'll talk about her son as well, who suffers from asthma, because. Yulis, as we were talking about, it's not an issue with cars, although it's affecting every polluting car in London, but actually it's a wider issue of public health. Yeah, I mean, if we look back, uh, and it's not long, 
ago, uh, I, I'm, you know, just to remind our listeners out there, a law was named after her, Ella's Law, and this was a tribute to the nine-year-old uh, Ella Kissy Debra, who died from asthma induced by air pollution. Now, the bill would establish or has established a right to clean air and set up a commission to oversee government actions and progress. Now, this was back in uh, May of 2022. So, legally... You know, our courts recognize that actually, you know, we have a right or recognize the fact that we have a right to clean air and that, you know, our cities are so polluted now that, you know, we do have uh, children, people who have uh, conditions of asthma or breathing conditions who are seriously uh, impacted by this pollution. And people are actually not in favor of it because they feel that it's... um, an attack on their liberty. They yeah, but don't you think, Anif, that, you know, it's it's always a case of, well, obviously, you know, I, I don't know what the percentages are out there as to Londoners who drive cars. I should think it's quite high within their household, let's say, right? Not even just individuals. And isn't it usually the case of, well, it's not happening to me. I'm all right, Jack. It doesn't affect me. Um, but you know what? This tax on a car, this war on, warfare on cars... Well, that affects me, right? I'm not asthmatic, so it's not my problem, right? Yeah, you're right. It's a case of nimism, but not in my backyard sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So, But we do not want to talk about that because, as I mentioned earlier before, some of the new scheme that's coming in on the 29th of August, nearly every single car in London all the way up to the M25, but not on the M25, all the greater uh, London boroughs, all 32 of them, will be affected by having to pay the charge if your car is not compliant. And as we know, we'll delve into the statistics, we know that most people are, but is it because they've had to change? Because I know many people who have got a car, they've saved up for it, it doesn't proud, it's a diesel car, takes them to A to B, it's a family car, they're just about making ends meet. Now suddenly, they've had to change their car to buy a new car that is ULES compliant. And actually, we know through statistics, when the congestion charge first came in, uh, your car was compliant. And over time, it suddenly stopped being compliant mm-hmm. because uh, the the uh, criteria for measuring it all changed. So these are the things that people are concerned about. Additional to that is we're seeing the cost of living and uh, going up, as we know. So can £12.50 be... Uh, can they afford it? But actually, there's lots of misconceptions about this £12.50. People say, look, if I go into London, I'm going to pay £12.50, and I come out of the zone, if I go back in, do I need to pay another £12.50? No, you don't. I mean, there's lots of these type of questions. But I'm disabled. I've got a blue badge. Do I have to pay the £12.50? Mm-hmm. No, there there are schemes out I, there. And I think that, that's, that's the problem, Heath, that mm. um, there's been a lot of, what's the word, scaremongering yeah. around it. Uh, whether it's the, the the general media itself, and this is one of, one of the things that I I've, I find because I think uh, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has been very uh, transparent in what he's doing regarding ULES uh, and why the expansion. Very very transparent, but then maybe he's he's missed the trick, and the trick is promotion. And actually, you know, if I were to liken it to anything. Okay, maybe not on such a grand scale, but what about Brexit, right? 
It was a case of, well, the Remainers back in the day thought, well, no one's going to, we're not going to leave the European Union. But actually, the Leavers actually promoted, whether it be right or wrong, they gave out the message. I think a lot of us remembered that red bus, 350 million coming back to the NHS. We know that's not true. But anyway, you know, we knew that that, but at least they promoted those messages. They made it widespread. So my message really would be, okay, that, that I suppose that horse has bolted somewhat, right? But really, it's still not too late to really promote ULES in a positive way. Like, you know, something that occurred to me uh, when you were asking me earlier on, just before the news, Hanifia, yeah, it has to be a coordinated strategy. And that coordinated strategy must be from central government along with your local government. And it's a way to break the shackles of how we actually live our lives, you know, to yeah. increase our, make it more proactive thing. Like, actually, look, look at, do you have any uh, illnesses? Are you obese? Do you suffer from diabetes? Did you know if you did an extra 10,000 steps, that's going to help your health? How can we do that? It's a very valid point. And I think if you were speaking to some of the people who are pro ULES, and we'll read out a statement from the Mayor of London about you know what why he's doing it and why mm -hmm. he's spoke about it being the most difficult decision. But but you are right. This is should not be about your car. It should be about your public health. The other thing that I always say in this scenario is that we know that back in the nineteen fifties when the, the factories would be mm -hmm. here in central London and the amount of smoke that came out of those factories were actually causing people to die earlier. Mm -hmm. There were people who well, were... Well, you had smog, didn't you? So much smog. Right. So a law was brought in that said, right, in the 1950s, we're taking them out. Mm -hmm. So there was lots of opposition at that time when it happened. We also know that when we banned smoking in public places, there was lots of opposition to it, but it's still, you know, people really enjoy that kind of environment now, although there are still many people who say, well, why, you know, we pay so much taxes, what's the burden on the NHS? But that's a day for another argument. Now we have ULES, which is ultra low emission zone, which is now being expanded. Now people are upset about that. So there's always this transition. But actually, do you think, I'll ask you this question, two questions. Mm -hmm. Do you have a car that's compliant and do you think we're going too fast with the ULES? Uh, yes, no. So you think we should have done this like yesterday? Yeah, because, look, it's it's one of those things. Is, do you take this meism, this iism? You know, there's no I in team, actually. Ultimately, we live in the same environment, right? What you do, Hanif, impacts upon me. Now, if people are too short-sighted to see that, then we're going to really hasten our demise collectively as the human race. So... Yeah, you know, this is the beauty, and yeah, you know, we look through life, society, through the lens of Islam. What religion and Islam teaches us is that our life on this earth is temporary, right? It's a transition. It's a it's a merely a, a getting ready for the hereafter, and you know the hereafter is for eternity. So, with that in mind, so people are so set on. You know this this kind of this this little life that we have right yeah. they're not thinking about right okay you know what i'm gonna live my 80 years uh i don't really care about anything else but what about the generations that are yet to come yeah okay all right so what we're going to do we're going to take a very short break just before we bring in our 
our next guest, but I'll leave you with a thought. Your car, do you spend the weekend cleaning, washing your car and it's your pride and joy? Is it something that you love to do at the weekend? Is it like a hobby for you? So we're going to take a short break, have that thought in mind and we'll get right back to you. Thank you very much. Welcome back and thank you very much uh, for staying with us on that short break. We're very fortunate to have our next guest with us. We have got it, who is a friend of the show, friend of our community, yep. Paul Scully, MP, and he's a Conservative MP for Sutton and Cheam. And he's also a Minister for London, and which is quite apt because we're talking about ULES, <laughs> which is the ultra-low emission zone, and he is the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Tech and the Digital Economy. So, just welcome. Just throw some ideas into us because a lot of people want to know very briefly what is tech and digital because obviously a lot of people know about ULES. So, if you took, is this a new appointment to you for your uh, not new? Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> Minister for London has always gone with another role. So, I okay. was um, when I first uh, got appointed as Minister for London three years ago, I was the Minister for Small Business and uh, Labour Markets and uh, Consumers at the time. Then I went to local government for a short time last summer, yeah. uh, and now um, Minister for Tech and Digital Economy. Last October is when I got that role, but all the time I've had the role of Minister for London as well. Mm -hmm. So in terms of tech and digital economy, what is it? It's about making sure that we've got um, <clears throat> enough... Uh, computer chips, semiconductors. Oh, in, you were in, talking about that in, in the break, I think, before yeah, you came on abso the, the Absolutely, show. because, you know, look, this is um, something we always talk about, you know, apps on phones, about how we're changing the world, whether it's AI or whether it's uh, these sort of things. Every, nothing, none of that can happen without semiconductors, computer mm -hmm. chips, if yeah. you, you know, to, for, for short, short. Because if you think about a computer... 10 years ago, um, 20 years ago. You maybe My Amstrad. <coughs> your Amstrad <laughs> would have had one one chip That's in it right, to yeah. make it go. Then they started introducing graphics chips, so you had two. You look at your phones, you've now got facial recognition, which is another chip. You've got this, then you've got that. About tens of semiconductors. If you get a Tesla car, you've got 3,700 of them in it. I know. It, it's crazy yeah. how the world has changed. Talking about tech, these people who are destroying these CCTV cameras that are full yeah, of the, tech. Full of tech. Full of, full of tech indeed. And ready and for you, Les. <laughs> And soon some of these CCTV cameras can see if you're on the phone even yeah. or if you're tapping on your mobile right. phone. So do you think that's a good way forward for the, the tech in a way? Well, Hit like, the driver I mean, again, so, I guess. So it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look, in terms of destroying uh, cameras, I can never condone yeah. that. And, uh, you know, I'd ask people, you know, to really reflect. You can't go around just destroying hundreds of pounds of taxpayer-funded cameras. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I can understand why people are frustrated uh, in, in in this um, the campaign to stop the ULES expansion because it's really affecting mm. ordinary people. It's affecting small businesses, it's affecting charities, it's affecting people who really cannot afford to make the change um, to uh, a ULES compliant job in the in but, the time scale that he's, he's facing. But minister, I mean, what is actually your stance <clears throat> on ULES then? So um, uh, I would, if I was mayor, and uh, I would stop the ULES expansion mm -hmm. to outer London day one. I'd, I'd just switch the cameras off mm -hmm. day one. I think there's no business uh, having that there, and I'll explain in a second. So, but you you had you've got three layers, if you like, of ULES. So you've got the original one that Boris Johnson brought in mm -hmm. a good while ago now for central London, um, and because you have you, sorry, ha just check. Boris Johnson had the idea in 2015, but the Sadiq Mir can't actually implemented yeah. it in 2019. 2019. Uh, yes, yeah, that's. Um, I 
think that's right. Yes, it was yeah. Boris who conceived it, and I think he yes he brought it in. But um, so so because we've had the low emission zone Correct. for a long long time right, now, yeah. so we've had mm-hmm. cameras around London uh, going back to the original bit about just, um, yeah. you know destroying cameras for a long time. That was mainly for HGVs and trying to get that last mile um, large lorries out of London. Um, but then Sidi Khan um, brought in an extension to the North and South Circular, which again Boris Johnson himself had um, had said he was going to do. Yeah. Um, but he, but what Sadiq Khan did is he brought that forward a year. So again, it was start constraining people's um, ability to make the change ahead of that. So I'm fully supportive of the central one mm-hmm. because I think there are plenty of options in central London yeah. to uh, to go on public transport. You may need a car at points, but very you know, far, far, far less likely. And um, the pollution, of course, was worse. In north and south circular, I wouldn't have reversed it if I'd become mayor because I think it's bedded in now and uh, and it's and it's uh, it's doing a job. People will have adjusted their behaviours by now. But the third one, the expansion to outer London, to the area in which I'm sitting at the moment, yeah. is just not. First of all, it's not needed. The pollution is not the same around here. There is air quality issues around it. We can tackle it in other ways. But it's that stretch too far because the alternatives are just not there for people going around so, their so business. That's, so that's five million people that you're saying that don't need you, the ultra low emissions. Something like that, yeah, yeah. Because you know, if you look at, um, uh, you know, we're in a sort of. A so why, but why, why do you think? Uh, because the stats have shown that the reduction in um, emissions of uh, the noxious gases like NO two, CO two, uh, the London Assembly have like published that report, and it shows there's a clear black and white, and there is a you know a clear gain in the ULES within central London. So if that's a benefit, why not extend that out to the rest of us Londoners? So there was two things. You may have yeah. seen the um, Telegraph article um, this morning, actually, when it was talking about the fact that um, there are two different Imperial College studies right. um, pub- published. One is saying that there's the clear bait, again that you're talking about. There's an, there is another uh, that shows there's less than 3% gain. Um, and uh, what ha- was happening, the mayor has been paying £800,000 towards the um, the guys that published the first one, uh, and so when that second one came out from the same college, uh, the mayor's deputy, um, uh, Deputy Mayor Rodriguez, said, um, Shelley Rodriguez, said, uh, tr- tried to get Professor Kelly, that heads up the first department, to um, start to denounce that and, and, and put forward a, a press release that was contributed to by the deputy mayor, uh, and put him up to um, uh, an interview on uh, with David Lammy, and another MP who presents a show on another radio show, yeah. to denounce that. And I think you, you're then getting into tainted research. I mean, these are really, um, uh, w- uh, you know, leading edge uh, climate scientists. I don't okay. d- deny that, environmental scientists. Mm-hmm. But when you're pitching one against another, it's not what we are seeing because um, the mayor's own report, the further out you get, the, the, the less the impact is. So mm-hmm. central London, as we've discussed, there's clear, when you've got that many cars packed into one small area, yeah. mm-hmm. there's clearly going to be a benefit to air quality. But when you get out here, you won't see it where, where I'm sitting in Morden at the moment. If you go to Enfield, there is, there is open green fields around there, and yet you're still paying £12.50 yeah, in I, this I would, extension I, I would, to drive around the roads around there. I would say that even in, in my borough in Hounslow, a mm. place like where Guttersbury, which is not too far from Hammersmith, actually, there, there's loads of green spaces. There are so many open spaces where you can go and enjoy the fresh air. But but actually, the question I have for you, which is, which is also, you know, it's on the tip of many other people, where you talk about 
the car, the expansion. But what about the public health issue? What what about the people who are suffering from asthma, mm-hmm. especially in a lot of these um, inner London boroughs and outer London boroughs, where many elderly people live who suffer from mm-hmm. asthma, for example. I mean, we saw we saw last year, in May 2022, Ella's Law. Uh-huh. And it's come into practice. You know, the high courts have acknowledged that pollution is attributable. I should say that again. I'll spit that one out. Attributable, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To <coughs> pollution. And her death was uh, you know, attributed to those uh, those levels of pollution. So, yeah, the, the, the indicators are there. I mean, we're not, what we're trying to do is like get to the, the basis of like, why is there this, I suppose, this like almost, I feel, scaremongering regarding ULES? Because a lot of what we were t- talking about before and our research has shown that actually 90% of the cars are ULES compliant. Uh, well, let me take up two things there because um, uh, two things I'll challenge you on. First of all, yeah. Um, I don't think anybody uh, wants bad air quality. I, mean, I think we we all appreciate the fact yeah. that we've got to tackle air quality. I would, first of all, as I say, I think it's less of an issue. But it is an issue, but it's less of an issue in the, in outer London than it is mm-hmm. in central London because of the just the sheer volumes of, of of traffic in inner London. Hence, we've got the congestion charge and the rest on top of that as well. Um, there are other ways of tackling that. You, uh, what I would do uh, again if I was mayor, I would have set up a fifty million pound or so uh, pollution hotspot fund. We know where the where the, the 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 worst of the pollution is in outer London. It's certainly not in those fields that I was describing around Enfield. So forget the cars around that area. Let's tackle yep. the areas where there is se- severe pollution. It might be changes of junctions or or routes and those kind of things, and and really tackle it at source because otherwise you're using a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And then you, when you talk about the ninety percent figure. Actually, what that is, that is a survey when they've used certain number of cameras in in the ULES situation that they um, the ULES zone that is in existence at the moment, and they've done a visual survey of cars gone through that. That is not the same as when you look at outer London. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was another study, I think it might have been the RAC, who actually yeah. looked at re- registered cars in the zone. Yeah. Um, it's something like 16, 17, 18 yeah. percent. And, 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 and vans even more yeah. so. This is the Greater London, is it? Yes, yeah. this is Greater London. And so what you find, but what you find yeah. is that, you know, you could say only 10 percent or only 16 percent, but typically yeah. they are people... Um, that are that cannot afford to change the cars. You but can't. Don't you, but that's the point, Minister. Don't you think that that you know when we okay we're talking about percentages, it's statistics, and it depends on how the context that you present those statistics, right, which colours your argument. But if this is coming in, and it is coming in, ULES is coming in. Right? Yeah. So then, time. then, then you know how do we accept that? And all I'm saying is that you know in in the ways that we have to actually change our mindset and not think of it as because it has been I suppose touted like Hanif said at the beginning of the show is it a war on cars you know do we feel that it's a war on cars Um, maybe that's how the media wants us to feel so that we do have this uh, they and them or they and us kind of mentality but actually you know we're here on Voice of Islam we want to actually think of it as a communal thing Uh, an actual yeah, a, a holistic approach would be actually let's change our mindset. Let's think about actually do we need to use cars? Hanif made a, a example. How can we promote actually just walking? Right, doing that one two walks to your local. 
would that not regenerate your local centers as well, right? Mm-hmm. Going down to the local shops, getting your paper, getting, you know, your yeah. croissant. Actually, that's not too local. No, 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 like croissant. I think we're, but, the, yeah, the, the that kind of idea. About is, is, you know, we, before this, we were talking about low traffic neighborhoods because, mm-hmm. you know, getting people out of their cars and, and, and making alternative journeys. So isn't that also part of the solution? Because there is no war. Uh, on on the cars here we're talking about, right? Because one of the other things, just before you answer, and it's a long-winded question both for myself and... and, (laughs) We'll get there eventually. But the low-traffic neighbourhood's main purpose was to get the cars out of the suburban areas and get them onto the main trunk roads where the pollution is concentrated. But the second half of the question is, does the pollution not travel? I mean, do we not see the pollution travel elsewhere? Yeah. So, oh God, there's a lot to unpick there. Look, first of all, um, is there a war, war on cars? And I've talked about the fact that we need to, uh, I think we all agree that we need to tackle air quality where it is poor mm-hmm. uh, and improve it. I have seen out City Hall rhetoric around yeah. uh, a bit of an anti-car um, uh, situation. When I was um, First Minister for London and we were in the middle of COVID, we were talking about the congestion charge, for example, when the mayor brought in the congestion charge widening to 24 hours, seven days a week. Yeah, yeah, we were ta- was, yeah. you know, I was talking about the fact that that's going to have a real effect, and it did have a real effect on, um, the, on the West End and um, uh, the, the centre of London hospitality that was uh, already suffering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there was another audience that was, um, uh, that was being put off coming into the centre of town because they couldn't come in when it was quiet when they were able to park etc and they did, they were describing it as we don't want a car led recovery uh, and it was it gave the sense of a, a, a bit of an anti-car uh, rhetoric so how can but but I think your idea your uh, descri- description of um, a mindset change yeah. is absolutely I think what we all agree on yeah. what, I, what I disagree on is the fact that we've we've had only a few months to change that mindset mm-hmm. Um, and now only two weeks to go to change that mindset before you get slapped with a £12.50 a day fine. Yeah. And you've got to take people with you. On sure. that journey, if you're going to change minds, yeah, you can't do it day one but with a But I wouldn't a, say it's just two weeks, right? We've had congestion charging <clears throat> before the mayor or Boris Johnson. Um, what, uh, oh, that's to go into central London. But right. no, if you've got someone, if you've but, got, but I'm sitting mindset, here in Morden and yeah. you've got someone literally that ha- is, they, they can't go sure. 100 yards down the road for £12.50. But you can't say it's two 50. weeks, right? You can't say... No, I'm saying from to... now. I'm saying from now. But, but the, he introduced, he said he was going to expand the, um, the uh, to, to outer London only the end of last year. So it's about seven or eight months or other, no, about 10 months or something that he gave people to yeah, make so that it's decision. 2019, 2021, and now we're here at twenty. But, but to do this yeah. final expansion... So can I ask... It was well, only very we bring, We've got another guest who's going to join us as well, not on the on the um, on the phone as well. Um, but I wanted to ask you about this. Why is it that Sadiq Khan is bringing it in? We, was it because he was voted in on the pro, uh, on his uh, clean air, his pollution, etc., or was it that he was constricted that, for example? For him to get the funding that he needed to keep London Transport running, for example, was to bring in, through his meetings with Grant Shapps, to bring in the ULES now rather than delay it because you wouldn't have received no, the funding. We've got to can get, you explain no, that? Yeah, yeah I can. We, no, we've got to get rid of that because yeah. um, that's something that's just been doing around on, on Twitter yeah. for some time. No, the, uh, what Grant Shapps said in his letter in 2021, oh, I think yeah. it was, uh, he was talking about, well, bring forward proposals because basically, look, TfL's nearly bust. You've got to bring forward proposals how you're going to become self-reliant um, out, you know, rather than government funded and so how you're going to expand uh, uh, and extend the 
congestion charging, new less charging. Yeah. That was all to do with uh, the extension to the North and South Circular. The, the Greater London charge had never even been conceived by that point at that, at that time. It was not a thing. What happened soon afterwards that the mayor started talking about a boundary charge, literally charging people for coming across the border into London. That yeah. was soon put back in its box because that was a ridiculous tax that was going to be there. Um, and uh, so, so no, that was very much um, bring forward proposals. So, you know, when you go and get a ex- uh, um, building work on your house, you go and get three quotes. But you, you don't actually say. But the government accepted <clears throat> the proposals. Yeah, exactly. No, we didn't. No, so absolutely. Why is it, why, no, why absolutely. Are they, why are they being to the point, then? To the point that we said, actually, look, if you, once the talk had started around it, we said, look, if you're going to do this, you can, you can pay for it. We are, we are not going to have um, government treasury money, taxpayers' money coming from Treasury, yeah. paying for your cameras, paying for, for your situation. We but absolutely then, wouldn't, wouldn't push the, back at that. The, then, you know, Grant Shipes, who was the transport minister at the time, um, isn't that a case of like holding basically TfL and the Mayor of London over a barrel? Well, no, because this is 2021. This is this was a totally different extension. This is that's what I'm saying. This was the extension to the North and South Circular, yeah. which has happened. Yeah. And, and yeah. why did Grant Shap say that? You know, looking at extending that because it was in Sadiq Khan's manifesto. He had already said. I mean, mm. Boris had said it. He just brought it forward a year that yes, let's extend it to the North and South Circular. Mm. At no point has anybody ever been able to vote on extending ULES to Greater London. Mm. At no point when that letter was written in 2021 was there any talk about extending mm. um, the uh, the the um, uh, uh, ULES to Greater London? This has come very much after yeah. that that funding round, even. So, mm. if you imagine during lockdown. We all know that Transport for London's majority of its um, income comes through the fares it mm. receives through London Transport, meaning buses and, and train fares. So we know during lockdown, 95% roughly disappeared from mm-hmm. the coppers of uh, from the trains and about 86% from the buses. So for him or the Mayor of London to be able to fill that gap needed some help. Right, yeah. so, which we happily gave. Right, but part of it was to come with some proposals, which you mentioned, and those proposals were to extend ULES and to then to the north and south circular. Yeah, although to the north and south circular still. Yeah. Now, this is now side question to that. I'm asking you to answer that. So, other governments around the world, say France, Germany, they have a completely different policy yeah. where they do not rely 100 percent, well, not 70% of income from transport. Uh, so from trains and, and buses. what Would you consider something like that to change the investment, to allow the Mayor of London to have more money coming from grants to be able to uh, have these services better? I, think I mean, what, wouldn't that be the, 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 the best approach, really, when you have a, a, a concerted central government plus local government? I mean, I'm not just talking about... I'm looking at the greater picture uh, for the whole of the UK because London... We are London-centric. We're here, right? Sure. And London is a is a bubble in itself, but you know, London isn't the whole of the UK, isn't the whole of England. For sure. So we need to have some kind of blueprint whereby we can extend this clean air, plus the benefits of clean air, plus the benefits of an economy within a city to other cities. So the point I'm trying to make is that actually, you know, when when you're looking at it uh, as a whole, um, you know, what is the way? to go forward. Well, you can't go forward with just 
the income that a city produces. It has to be from central government as well. Well, look, I think, again, there's a lot to pick up because, uh, first of all, um, if you're looking at how uh, tra- transport in London should fund itself, tra- the TfL's got something like a £75 million surplus at the moment this year. So it's actually started to recover from COVID. If you look at the, mm-hmm. tra- uh, the trains and the tubes, they are getting to being quite busy uh, at the moment. Um, and so it's, it is returning to surplus. What you find, if you talk about a holistic view, what is if yeah. you are looking at um, transport and how it's funded and, the, and coming, being funded from the fare box rather than subsidy, yeah. you then get investment in different areas. Because if you're then extending tram tram lines, for example, I've been trying to get the tram line to Sutton, but that mm. got put by the wayside because we needed 350 million quid, TFL don't have. If you're looking at the Bakerloo extension that's proposed, you look at how the Northern Line has been extended, houses tend and, uh, and businesses tend to follow very, very quickly. Mm. So you get that drive. Mm-hmm, so you're, yeah. you're also sorting two different problems out. You're sorting yeah. out your transport transport box, but you're also getting more housing mm-hmm. and fulfilling the demand there as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's really important. No, great. We've got so many more questions to ask you, but we wanted to uh, talk to our next guest as well. But you're happy to stay with us? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure um, Ruth um, Fitzharris will probably ask you a question as well, but we've got <laughs> lots of questions uh, for her as well. So we're really welcome to bring in uh, Ruth Fitz, uh, Fitzharris, uh, who is a mother from North London. Her young son suffers from asthma and exasperated by the air pollution, as mm. we know a lot of, about that as well. And she became concerned about the toxic air after he was hospitalised with severe attacks and then advised by the respiratory paediatrician to avoid traffic-filled roads. And we know through low-traffic neighbourhoods, a lot of that, the trunk roads, all the cars are being pushed onto that. And many people live on yeah, those roads. Yeah. So it, it is it is a problem for many parents. So we just wanted to talk to Ruth. Ruth, thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Hi there. Thank you for asking us to join. No, yeah. you're, you're most welcome. Yeah, good so, afternoon, Ruth. Just to clarify, you've got myself, Hanif, and uh, Minister of, uh, for London, Paul Scully, in the studio here. So if you have any questions for Paul... You've got him here. He's, he's Hi, got a Ruth. private. Uh, you've got a private ear currently. But so, yeah, so just for that, we, we just want to ask you the question: Do you believe ULEZ expansion will do enough to improve uh, the children's respiratory health? Because we do know that ULEZ is not about the car, but it's about a public health. We're hoping it is anyway. <laughs> Absolutely, um, we're very much in favour of the ultra low emission zone being expanded. Um, because these zones are proven to have a beneficial impact both on health and on reducing air pollution. So the first zone that was in central London reduced nitrogen oxide by around 50%. And then when it was expanded out to the north and south circular, that reduced nitrogen oxide by 20%. So these zones definitely work, and, and that's why we think they should be part of the policy landscape. Um in answer to your question about whether it's enough, um, unfortunately, it's not enough. Um, even once it's expanded, we're still all going to be breathing high levels of, of air pollution. And so mm. we see this as kind of part of the, the journey towards the cleaner air that, that we need so badly for children to be able to develop to, that, to their full potential. Yeah, that, that that's uh, an excellent answer. We've got a couple more, but I just wanted to just say to you that um, our Minister Paul Scully said that if he was to uh, become the mayor or or change the mayor, that he would stop the expansion to the M25. Uh, Do you think that's a good idea based on what you've said? Would you like it to be expanded to the M25? 
And then it's not M25 to be fair. Within the M25, within the M25, and and obviously you can answer, and then Paul, you can come back on that as well. I think. Um, I, I mean, I think that these zones certainly work, but we need to make sure that they're coupled with proper scrappage schemes that work, that are properly funded, and that businesses and individuals are given options to help them make that transition, whether that's improved public transport in outer London, so better options for for buses, um, for trains, for uh, for being able to bike or to walk more easily, um, and options for businesses to be able to switch to cleaner modes of getting around. So that kind of part of the puzzle really needs to be in place as well. Uh, but we really so urgently need to see action on this issue this is on air pollution this has been put off for such a long time and the health impacts are detrimental and every single year more and more evidence comes out from our top universities about how air pollution is linked to a whole range of different debilitating human illnesses and diseases from cancer to dementia to COPD, um, even to mental health problems, to a a huge number of illnesses that actually carry enormous costs to families, to individuals, to lives, and to the government itself and to the NHS. So actually, you know, a lack of action on clean air comes with enormous financial costs. Um, And if I can speak to my own personal experience, um, my son has missed almost a fifth of the school year this year. And on all of those days, I've not been able to work. And the pressure of that is really, really difficult, not to mention the heartbreak of seeing your child so sick. And I'm not the only one. There are a quarter of a million children in London have got asthma. That is a staggering number of children. Actually, can I just, before Paul comes in, uh, just ask you, Ruth, where do you actually live in North London? Are you within the the ULA zone or will you you Uh, be? With the last expansion, we were in it, in Mm -hmm. Haringey, and it came as a a huge relief to us. Yeah, Yeah, um, look, uh, actually... Uh, Ruth and I, I think, agree on a, a lot of things. We just actually, I think, disagree on the actual solution right. uh, because, you know, it, it is um, awful that so many children have um, uh, asthma and are suffering as a result. It, it, it is, you know, I, th- I think we all want to uh, breathe clean air. I think we need to make sure we can take people with us on, on, on this journey as I was describing it. I, I, I would disagree, though. I, I talked a little bit about those studies and about the different percentages and I'm not saying that uh, you know there is no um, uh, effect on air quality at all but I think um, it's it's been um, overstated in some maybe understated in others so uh, you know if you look at the mayor's own um, impact assessment that he did with a company called Jacobs in, in introducing this it was one and a half percent improvement it was three percent as I say in this other Imperial um, college study um, and so then you're into a cost benefit ratio because it is, are there more effective ways of actually improving that uh, that beyond those small percentages 
at either a lower cost or actually a more direct approach like the pollution hotspots that I was talking about uh, because otherwise you're effectively saying um, you know I can drive past Ruth's house on that on that route if I pay £12.50 if I'm allowed to pay £12.50 I can carry on polluting as far as I do that's just not good enough that's actually we've got to tackle those roads those routes that are particularly so, badly affected uh, So Paul just, uh, just bear with me one second I just want to have a follow up question where you talk about bringing and solving the hotspots mm. um, how would you solve the hotspot? Um, you cannot really remove the air b- b- without removing the vehicles. No, it's about, well, it's 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 more about look, you know working on junctions. Well, you talk about low traffic neighbourhoods, yeah, yeah, um, right, yeah. those kind of things. I mean, that is a direct um, area solution. I, I don't think where the no, low traffic neighbourhoods went wrong yeah. is that they were again they were top down imposed at, at, at a hurry without talking to people that were affected. So they were pushing people onto main roads and increasing yeah. hot um, pollution in one area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was at the co- always at the cost of another area. What we're doing though, I mean, one of the things again it's not inaction because don't forget we have this and I know you know Ruth will say it's not not quickly enough but we're, we're stopping the sale of um, uh, petrol and, co- uh, and diesel combustion engine cars by 2030 now yeah that's seven years um, so you know I'm sure Ruth will say that's not quickly enough but for others that's even that's that's too quick yeah. uh, but seven years allows us to develop the alternatives electric so make sure we've got more, enough charging points and those alternatives bring it down to a cost that's more affordable for more people taking people with you on the journey. Mm. Can I just get back to Ruth here? Now, so, you, you know, Paul's put up the point that, you know, we're talking about stats here, one point whatever percent, three percent. It's it's just a statistic at the end of the day. But you can provide us with actual um, real-life experience. So, yeah, can you describe the improvements and changes that you've seen personally in air quality and your son's health since the introduction of ULES in certain areas in London? Well, I mean, one of the worst years for the number of attacks that he had was 2018. Um, and he had seven severe attacks that So this is year. pre-pandemic? Yeah. Um, he and three of those ended up in a high dependency unit, which is a really frightening place to be. Um, during COVID, there was far less... Um, transport and people were driving far less his symptoms improved and actually you can look at some of the work by professor andy bush at um the royal brompton hospital um which is the uk's leading heart and lung hospital and he's worked on studies showing that asthma symptoms improved during during covid because of the reductions in road transportation emissions um I mean, part of the issue that's difficult about this is that air pollution is invisible, and that's one of the reasons why so many people... um, It's uh, not tangible, is it? It's nothing that you can see. It's not a visible enemy, is there? Yeah, although we have have reams of scientific evidence um, that it's there, we have very accurate monitors all over London showing that the levels of air pollution are far beyond what's recommended by the World Health Organization and we have countless studies to show the impact on our health so yeah while it's invisible we do actually have concrete evidence on the impacts and and thus it is 
it's so urgent that we do something. And you can clearly measure it, can't you, Ruth, as well? So, I mean, like, you know, one thing, I'm not sure it's applicable to London because of the sheer um, difference in size. But if yeah. you, I, I used to go to Strasbourg four times a year for the Assembly of the Council of Europe. And if you drive in the, on the motorways or in Strasbourg, yeah. they measure pol- pollution in the morning. And actually, they will be flashing up. They will reduce, um, tell you to reduce the speed. Li- all the speed limits will go down. Um, they'll flash up the signs. And actually, the um, transport costs, the public transport costs go down on those days as well which is a really interesting, yeah. innovative way of tackling this. It's a, a bit more of a focus, as you, I say. You, you feel that you're part of the solution. Right? Yeah, exactly yeah. that, exactly that. that. So I think we, uh, yeah. that's what I mean about us largely being in agreement. I think we're differing on the solution, but I think sure. we're largely in agreement. Yes, of course, I don't want your son to be um, you know, walking along those roads and, and exacerbating his asthma. We don't want to be having so many people uh, in that position, but it's just are we using a sledgehammer to crack a nut, which, uh, my view, in this, in this final expansion... I believe it is. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I do kind of disagree with you there, though, because the clean air zones are really proven to work, and that's why they're being implemented. But I think, Ruth, is that, it, that's it, in an area where it's, a, it's quite a small really area. Not, because it's, it's a huge number of people whose health is impacted by this. But what I'm saying, Ruth, I think it's, in, it's a very different consequence. Where you've got clean air zones around the, um, around the country, the cities are so much smaller. I mean, London is three times the size of the next, uh, the next biggest European city, never mind, uh, uh, you know, geographically. So never mind. Uh, and but, and um, that's, that's why we need, we need really strong action because so many people live here and so many people's health is impacted by yeah, but, this. But, 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 but also the cars in outer London, in, including Enfield, as I was describing, you, yeah. but you're basically treating a field in Enfield, or oh, the roads around it, obviously not a field, but the same as you are Battersea. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Paul, th- what we know is of the 5 million people in the, in the new in the new zone of the Greater London, mm-hmm. through, through statistics and through monitoring, we know that nine cars out of 10 are compliant so it's the one they're not though uh, yeah, but so, I so, totally yeah. totally fundamentally so, so, so explain reject that, that figure explain that then because that's because we're talking about 5 million people there aren't we yeah uh, roughly or, or so in the greater London yeah area. I mean uh, and the thing is Paul it's not like night, we're, we're quoting it just from the uh, London Assembly there's like loads of sources where they're saying that say for instance if you're a petrol car and you are Euro I think it's Euro emissions 4 mm. level uh, and a lot of petrol cars are I think post 2006, then you're going to be compliant. Diesel cars, different story. Yeah. You have to be Euro six level, and but if you've bought that car since say 2015, that's eight years ago, then you're going to be compliant. So, yeah, we're we're already we're already there. I actually think the argument is actually, are we doing enough? Well, look, okay, first, so uh, you're right. For, look, let's let's first of all uh, remember because I don't want to be scaremongering. I just mm. I totally reject the solution that he's right. come up with. Well, I don't want to scaremonger. Yeah, yeah. If you are listening to this, I am not saying that every car is um, going to be caught up in this. Not everybody's going to have to pay twelve pound fifty. Clearly, I mm. do um, disagree with that. Sort of the nine out of ten, but it, I think it's more than that. But um, uh, sorry, less than that. So <laughs> more, you know, more are not compliant. Yeah. Um, but please do check. Go on the TfL website. Yeah. Put your registration Perfect. plate and check for yeah. yourself personally don't rely on other people to tell you whether you're going to be compliant no or not. but i think that's do have that, a look do that, have a look that, that is the you know uh, i suppose you know the, the the what am i trying to say the kind of the happy thing that i find with you coming in uh, minister is that yes the solution is there or sorry the, the way of getting to the end solution which is to have cleaner air to have a better environment for everybody is is actually the mission it's just how we're going to yeah. get there. 
And I think, you know, is it your reticence is that the cases that we're actually being pushed too fast? But look, even if it's one, even if it's one in 10, even if it's one in 10 that's non-compliant, the problem is yeah. that one in 10 are probably most likely the ones to be un- most unaffordable mm. to actually change the car. Yeah. So we don't do anything else. We don't do any other policy when we just ignore the one in ten that are least, um, le- you know, le- least afford- able to afford these changes. We always look after the most vulnerable. And the most vulnerable affected here are people on the lowest pay or, or small businesses that cannot afford to change their vans and re- refit their vans, not just change them, and also charities. Hounslow Council, a Labour council who have been supporting this, asked the mayor for an exemption for their own fleet of vans yeah, yeah. Uh, because they couldn't change them in time. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with mm. you. Um, yeah, that I was mean, a, bit, a bit of a surprise. So, I just, just wanted to go back to, 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 to Roof, actually. Sorry. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to do. I was gonna <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so, uh, yeah. So, just on, on the last, before we bring in our next guest who's waiting in the wings as well, if you don't mind. Oh, this is, uh, yeah. uh, excellent. We were just going to be speaking to, to Tim. So, I'll just let... Um, yeah. So uh, final question to you, Ruth, right? I mean, you know, you've seen the arguments uh, against ULEZ uh, as a nas- I mean, and most people are kind of framing it as a tax burden on people. You know, how would you respond to these concerns, especially considering you know, your personal experiences yeah. then? Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's just... Because it is quite a valid point, right? I, I, I can see how people m- might think that in the current situation where it's really difficult to afford basic things but it, it's really not a money-making policy it's a pub it's a public health policy mm-hmm. a, about making our environment a safe environment and about protecting vulnerable people and protect well, all humans are vulnerable we are all mm-hmm. uh, you know have bodies have lungs have hearts and minds that need to be protected yeah. From air pollution and and there is no organ of the body that is is safe from this Mm -hmm. and so I would just implore people to to look a bit further um, and um, and, uh, to look to the greater good yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. Well, thank, thank you. No, no. Thank you very much, uh, Ruth. Really appreciate you coming on and joining us on the Drive Time Show, and actually do, being with our conversation with the minister as well. And we we'll wish you the very much best health for your son, and hopefully he will get a full recovery. And thank you very much for your time. And hopefully we'll pick up the subject again, and you'll be a guest on the show again if you're willing to. Thank you for having us. You're most welcome. Thank you. So waiting in the wings, Mm. we've got uh, Tim Dexter. Yes, Tim Dexter. Um, And he is the clean air lead for asthma and lungs. And we're very fortunate to have him uh, on the show with us. We've got a few questions. And and, uh, Tim, thank you very much for joining us today. Evening. Great to be here. Yeah, excellent. So uh, our first question, right, uh, we've been talking about ULEZ. We've got uh, Minister for London, Paul Scully, in the studio with us. What are the main air pollutants that can exacerbate asthma and lung conditions? How do they affect individuals with these conditions? So there are two main pollutants that we tend to focus on. The first one is called particulate matter. So this is tiny particles of of solids, so things like dust and dirt and air. They can come from a range of different sources. They tend to be almost microscopic. So they, you breathe them in and they get deep into your lungs, deep into your system, mm-hmm. and can cause all sorts of issues. And then there's also nitrogen dioxide, or NO2 as it's known. Mm. Um, and this is a gas 
which around 80% of which uh, comes from uh, roadside pollution. Um, and both of these, really what they do is they can irritate your lungs. So if you already exist or already have pre-existing asthma or lung condition, it can irritate that condition and cause a flare-up, which can sometimes lead to hospitalization and breathlessness, which causes particularly worrying and can be very scary if, if you're on the receiving end of that. But also we know that long-term exposure to this can have an implication for your health. So it can increase the chance of developing a lung condition at some point in life. It can stunt the growth of lungs for children and young people. Um, but also it's not just about lung health. We know, as, as Ruth, your previous guest said, it can, it can um, affect almost every organ in the body. So it, mm. it can leave you at higher risk of diabetes, stroke, uh, heart, heart conditions, um, and dementia as well later in life. Mm. So, Tim, I mean, uh, I'm going to hazard a guess you're a bit pro-ULES then. We are, we are. So we're, we are, we are. It was a shot in the dark, Tim. <laughs> but I got it. Well yeah, done. we are, we are definitely uh, supportive. So it's something we've been calling for for, uh, for a number of years. It, so, it's so really is... because when, when you take those facts into account, we know that air pollution is a health emergency. And when we know the effect that it's having mm. on our health and on our children's health, it's not really something that we can afford to wait for. But I, I think one of the points that uh, one of our previous our previous guests, Ruth, brought about was that, mm -hmm. or pointed out, I suppose, is that you know it's one of those things that we don't see, right? We can't see air pollution; it's not mm -hmm. visible to the eye. I mean, is there any proof? Is there any direct, or is there any correlation between ULES implementation and improved respiratory health? So what we what we do know is that ULES has cause a reduction in air pollution so we know it's a policy that works in reducing air pollution and we know that high toxic levels of air pollution are extremely dangerous to human health so we can be pretty confident that in the long term that it is going to have an effect of course with ULEV it's something which has existed for a, a couple of years but we're talking about long-term conditions here so exposure from childhood uh, straight through to adulthood then the more you're exposed to it, the more likely you are to develop those conditions. But we know that reduction in air pollution does does produce better health yeah. outcomes. Yeah. So, Tim, as you know, we've got Paul Scully, the, uh, our Minister mm -hmm. for London. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is that we are on the same page, that something needs to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. Pollution is definitely something we need to solve. Do, do you think we're going too slow or do you think it should be done quicker? Should there be a rollout? Um, it's a question that we, you know, we will ask uh, the minister to answer. But do you think it's we should hold back and and just allow the people who do have a difficulty in paying the charge of twelve pound fifty, give them some dispensation, or because we've been told there isn't unless you are on a PIP or disabled or blue badge. But actually, that there is no. You've got to start paying in what six days time is it now? Yes, six days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a really good question. So, I mean. When, when, again, when we're looking back at the evidence base and, with, and all the things I just said and the fact that just uh, just um, earlier this year, late last year, uh, Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer, actually wrote his annual report about air pollution, again, just focusing on how serious an issue this is. Um, you know, it, it's something that we can't really afford to, to wait for, to take action for. We know that, this, that there are impacts and there are knock-on effects that are going to happen. I think what's really important where the focus should be rather than about you know delaying or dithering on taking action when we have the opportunity to be really ambitious is we really should take it and what we'd like to see is 
um, you know, more more support and more investment for people that are struggling and need that help. One of our core asks at the moment to the government is to introduce uh, something called the Clean Air Travel Access Fund. So providing a scheme that really targets those people that are in most need of that help and as well also have conditions that means that they are the most affected by air pollution okay. to be able to upgrade their transport. So, so, so Paul, are you aware of, were you yeah. aware of that? Do you think that the government's dithering? Government's not dithering at all. I'll say the government yeah. was very specific um, when this first came up that yeah. uh, we're not going to pay uh, for the mayor's actions because we don't agree with it. Yeah. Um, so we're absolutely clear about that. Um, you know, we've been paying. We've been paying to make sure the TfL yeah. can operate though during COVID. And what about the um, targeted approach that Tim mentioned for for people who suffer the most? Well, look, I mean, bearing yeah. part of the problem is that the as I say, the scrappage scheme is uh, was 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 targeted, but it just wasn't uh, enough. enough in the first place. Yeah. And uh, the mayor has now expanded it to uh, to anybody. You don't have to be on benefits. But he's yeah. done it with a week to go. I mean, it's literally it started today. Um, with it coming in on the 29th, which is just not good enough. And if you're going to target, we talk, talk about targeting solutions. Mm. What we haven't talked about is the fact that you can go on the underground, uh, you can be stuck in a tube, uh, a metal tube, with a whole load of particulates coming up there, which is way far higher than anything on the road uh, that, you, that you're going to get. That's just yeah. un, untested and, and, and untreated uh, at all. So if you're going to target a group of people... Um, that's a significant area. But I watch my, you know, we talk about this. I watched my dad die of asbestosis. You know, I watched him effectively suffocate over a year. Mm. Um, so I know something about the end results of um, of, of lung um, disease and uh, yeah. and these sort of effects. And it's, uh, you know, from a personal point of view, clearly for different situation. But um, so I don't underestimate what we need to do about this. Yeah. But I just think we need to. Be proportionate at this time because bear in mind what we haven't also talked about is the um, and Ruth said at the end it's not money making it's public health and um, there is a, there's already discussion about road charging road user charging about using the cameras to repurpose them for per mile charging once the um, vehicle excise duty goes down as we move to electronic vehicle electric yeah. vehicles as well so there is a revenue stream that's following this for the mayor um, but just focus on what we need to do in the pockets of areas where we need to tackle uh, pollution which is above ground and below ground but not all around outer london Mm. yeah i I think it's a massive discussion you're right we haven't touched on on every aspect even with the car with the tires in the road as they accelerate the the particulates that come out there i mean i think we should say goodbye to tim thank you for your time uh, with us because we're drawing to a close on the show thanks very much Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon on the drive time show thank you very much and you know i should actually yeah read out because uh the mayor of london city car actually gave us a statement for voice of islam radio cleaning up london's toxic air is an important priority for me and i've been clear that the decision to expand the ultra low emission zone london-wide was not easy but necessary to tackle sev- to tackle save lives and protect our children's lungs around 4000 londoners die prematurely each year due to air pollution children are growing up with stunted lungs and thousands of people in our city are developing life-changing illnesses such as cancer, lung disease, dementia and asthma. Nine out of ten cars seen driving regularly on an average day in outer London are already compliant and will not have to pay the charge. For the small minority of drivers that currently will have to pay the charge, I have announced a major widening of the scrappage fund to make the scheme available to all Londoners with non-ULES compliant cars, while increasing the amount of money that small businesses and charities can receive. Okay, so, Minister, we've got about a minute to go. 
first of all, thank you very much yeah, thank for you very much coming for in and answering too. our questions. But in, in you've got 30 seconds, I know you can do it <laughs> easily. Uh, is there anything you like to say to our listeners? Uh, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, this is a difficult decision, uh, yeah. a difficult thing for you, especially if you are running a small business. I know, um, you know, uh, a number of the community of our taxi drivers got small businesses themselves, so they'll be suffering. Do check your own car; uh, it's eligibility. Um, do get involved in the scrappage scheme if you if you can. But um, you know, I will be campaigning to continue to support small businesses, charities, and those less least able to afford this, whilst understanding that we have to do something about equality. Okay, uh, thank you, Minister for London. Paul Scully, thank you for your time for joining us here uh, in our studios at uh, Voice of Islam, uh, the Drive Time Show. And I, I think we should just end additionally uh, with a statement from His Holiness, Mr. Masra Ahmed. Uh, and this was his concluding session of the uh, IAAAE uh, conference. He said, in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has repeatedly instructed true believers to fulfill the rights of mankind and to help those in need or who face difficulties of any kind. The Quran has particularly emphasized the need to help the most vulnerable members of society, such as those who are mired in poverty. Therefore, institutions, governments, individuals must help the most vulnerable in society and the City Hall is doing exactly that. And with that, we come to the end of the show. Thank you for joining us uh, on Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Thanks to Hanith. Thanks to uh, our staff in the back, uh, in, in our backroom staff, I should say, Shafiq. Thanks also to our <laughs> yeah. producers, uh, Aisha Tahir, uh, Tamina Tahir and Simul Inam. This was Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show.